it's really more likely that pagans co-opted Christian understandings to retain membership um, around Easter or fertility worship than the other way around. So do Christians get their understanding of Easter from pagan festivals and religions? Absolutely not. Stay tuned for this Theology Pit. You fall into the Theology Pit. Theology Pit. You fall into the Theology Pit. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Theology Pit. This is Theology out of Pittsburgh and not to be confused with The Bottomless Pit because you know what we say, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, podcaster, the Reverend Samson Kovach, coming at you again with this special Easter edition of The Theology Pit in April of 2021. Right now, I'm recording this on Holy Saturday. Tomorrow is Easter. Um, Holy Saturday is a very significant holiday within the traditional uh, Christian understanding. Uh, Many evangelical and Anabaptist churches seem to disregard this day. Um, A lot of Protestants do also. It seems like anything that rings with the sound of Roman Catholicism, they just want to get away. They they say, no, we don't want that. You know, baby in the bathwater illustration, right? They just throw it out. But today, if you think about what happened through Holy Week that we just went through from Lent, from the triumphal entry um, up to yesterday, Good Friday. And there were six days that had passed. And when Lent started, the 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 cries out of, of Hosanna, you know, oh, Lord, save us. Um, and the waving of the palms. This was all in relation to saying that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And in saying that, they are also saying, especially in in John's gospel, that Jesus is the creator. He is the one who created the world. Now, how did God create the world? He created the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. All right. The significance of that being, you know, the the poetic way of of understanding um, the creation narrative. But on the seventh day, he rested. Today is the seventh day. Jesus on the cross before he died said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And this is in the perfect form of the word, the perfect tense, which means that it had been completed, it is being completed, and it is an ongoing state of being in completion. It always is. And today, today, Jesus is resting from his works, just as God rested from creation. So there is a very strong significance and a very strong tie to Holy Saturday within the um, the, the Holy Week celebration. Now, tomorrow being Easter, being the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, the day of new life, the day of new birth, it's staying directly in concert which, with what has been established in Genesis. And when you read the Genesis account, it's very easy to see the gospel message through it. 
And I think one of the reasons why is because in so many of Paul's letters, we get um, so many references back to the accounts in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of that happens. But also we look forward to what Moses had done. Right. And then, and Genesis is one of the works of, of, um, the Pentateuch, the, the first five books, which, um, Moses is, is said to have penned. Um, and we'll just leave it at that. That's a different discussion on whether or not you know, Moses wrote the whole thing. Hint probably didn't since it records his death. Um, but it, it doesn't, um, change the fact that the bulk of it is, um, the, the work of Moses with the Exodus coming into play, we have the Passover and the Passover celebration, the, the Seder meal, um, which is, uh, um, performed and practiced of course by Jews, but especially by Christ. Um, the night before he was betrayed the night before he was hung on a cross before good Friday. Now this is really, really key to us understanding Easter and understanding what we are doing, that our Easter celebration is part of the Passover celebration. It is the Passover celebration. So within the accounts giving, given in scripture on what occurred at this time, there's some interesting uh, notes that can be taken. Uh, there are four cups of wine that are, of course, drunk um, during the, the Seder meal. Um, the first one is the cup that... Uh, initiates the service. It's called the, the Kaddish. The second um, cup of wine is, you know, the, the blessed art thou, eternal our God, creator of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then we have the second cup that is drunk. Then we have the third cup. And this is um, blessed art thou, eternal God, uh, eternal our God, ruler of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. So God as ruler and creator. And then after the third cup is drunk, the fourth cup is filled and the door is then open for Elijah the prophet and all rise. Um, then the fourth cup is drunk um, at, at the end of the at the end of the service, it says, "Blessed art thou, eternal God, ruler of the universe, creator of the vine." And the fourth cup is um, is drunk. Here's the interesting thing, though. Um, Dr. Scott Hahn pointed this out um, in in many different forms, but most notably in his 1992 lecture on um, uh, understanding communion, understanding the Eucharist. It was in his series, um, Answering Common Objections to the Catholic Faith. I think he did a really good job with it. But he pointed out that the, the fourth cup was never drunk, or it's never said to have been drunk, um, you know, because, you know, Jesus says, I'm, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until I'm being glorified. And it, it says in all the, um, all the gospel accounts that um, they sung the Lilla Halam Psalms and then they went out and then they left. And that's interesting because um, that's like in the middle of a liturgy that that happens. And if you're not a liturgical Christian, um, then this, this can be a little bit confusing, this type of language, because a, a liturgy... Um, is a, a form of worship service, okay, where things are done for a particular reason in, in a particular order. 
and it's to honestly it's to tell a story it's to prepare hearts it's it's the 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 mode of the service um non-liturgical churches roughly have the same thing they just call it just like an order of service you know i mean you're you're going to go to a church and they're they won't call it a liturgy but their structure will generally be opening up with some songs um then you may have announcements um and you may have a couple more songs um possibly an offering then you'll have the sermon and then you will have a time of prayer maybe and then um uh, you know, some more songs and it's over, but there's a, a certain structure to it. Liturgical, uh, worship is, is a, um, uh, I'll put it like this and I know it's going to sound bad. It is a more well thought out form of worship. It is, it is much more intentional in what is taking place and why, um, it is, it is hearkening back through the scriptures rather than a, uh, a, a mode of presentation, Okay, it is a participation, not a presentation. And I think that that would be my understanding of the biggest difference between a liturgical service and a free worship service. And so the fourth cup, Scott Hahn pointed out, Dr. Hahn points out, is not drunk until he is, until Christ is on the cross. And he asks for the, um, uh, he says, I thirst. And according to John's gospel, there was some vinegar, some sour wine that was there and a, a sponge was put on a hyssop branch uh, and lifted up to him and he tasted it. And as soon as he tasted it, that was him drinking the fourth cup and saying, it is finished. The, the, the Passover ceremony is completed. It's been done and it's finished with him and, and, he, and he dies. Um, the interesting thing is that John points out that it was a hyssop branch. A hyssop branch is what was used in Exodus for the Passover, when the 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 lamb was slain, and Jesus is called our Paschal Lamb, and we'll get to what that means in a little bit here. Um, the lamb was slain, and uh, it was then um, the blood was put on the doorposts of the houses that night um, with a hyssop branch. And this is the blood that when the angel of death saw it on the doorposts, he would pass over those houses, and the firstborn of those houses um, would not die. And so there's a strong connection with the Passover lamb and even what the Passover lamb was. I encourage you to go back into Exodus and, and read um, about that. Read in Leviticus. Read, know your Old Testament to know and understand and appreciate Easter more. I mean, I can't, I can't stress that enough. What is going on here is all of this imagery, everything that's happening is, is, is coming to a, a pinnacle in Christ, coming to a pinnacle in Easter. And it's very, um, it's very Jewish and its understanding is extremely Jewish. And so that's really where we need to start, um, with this episode today and try to put stuff away while I'm talking, uh, when we talk about, um, Easter and we talk about what is it? Because let's, let's be honest, you know, what, what do we know about Easter in our 21st century American culture? I, you know, I mean, if we're totally honest about it, it's like what rabbits, eggs, church services, maybe lunch or dinner with the family. You know, I mean, all of this stuff, like even why do we worship on Sundays? Like all that's everything comes into play. People who, you know, are like C and E Christians, Christmas and Easter Christians. Um, it's interesting that they have the tradition of, of, you know, coming then rather than 
trying to be there every time the church doors open or at least the majority of the time um, with COVID more people are engaging online. It's, it's not exactly the th- same thing, but I think that it's a good first step for people. I think that the desire should not be to continue to worship this way, but a, a supplemental way of, if you can't make it to church, that that is available. Um, it's, it's most definitely a ministry. Um, but with our culture and, with with Easter and really what we what we've been told about it, sometimes it doesn't jive. Sometimes it doesn't you know come together. Uh, I was asked on a um, on on a forum. Of course, you guys should know this already. I'm, I I broadcast every live every Friday from nine to noon on Twitch.tv forward slash the Twitch the, the Twitch theologian. I am a twit theologian, though. That wasn't just a, a slip. That was an, an, an honest um, PSA that was just put out. And on um, Sunday nights from 9 p.m. to midnight, where I take questions and um, and I, I just talk about the faith. Well, um, I also go into other chats with with other followers. It's like a little community that's, that's you know, I've formed and, and been a part of other different communities, too. And because I'm the Twitch theologian, somebody asked me, um, what does the Easter bunny have to do with Jesus? And I told them very clearly, well, nothing. It has to do with Mary. And they had never heard this before. People have never heard this or made this, um, this, this connection. And we'll, we'll talk about that, why the Easter bunny is even a part of Easter. I don't want to get ahead of myself too much, though, because um, uh, I, I sort of want to unpack this a little bit more. But maybe, you know what? Maybe we could start with the Easter bunny. There really isn't any, any rhyme or reason for this. Now, there are a lot of really good presentations online about uh, the origins of Easter, uh, where it comes from, um, what, what all the different meanings are. And like I said, when you, when you connect the, the Jewish understanding with the Christian understanding, it becomes even more powerful. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn from, um, the, the Roman Catholic church from, uh, Messianic Judaism, from, from Judaism, um, even from, I mean, you know, evangelicalism. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. We can, um, there's people that have done some really good research and, um, in particular, there was a uh, person uh, who recently posted online on, on a Facebook page. Let me grab it real quick. Um, this was shared by uh, CMJ USA on Facebook, and the presenter did a fantastic job. His name is Aaron Gann. I hope I'm saying that uh, correct. And he did a two-part series on the non-pagan origins of Easter. I'll put a link in the show notes um, so you can go and watch that if you want. It's I think there are two um, 50-minute lectures. Really, really good uh, with PowerPoint. I think he does a great job of explaining it. And I liked his structure. I liked the way that he um, uh, talked about a lot of things. He, he did a really good job. He's a uh, MDiv student, I believe. Um, <coughs> I believe he said. But um, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to put that in there and you can check it out. So let's start with the rabbits here. Let's start with the Easter Bunny. So the thing with the Easter Bunny and it being associated with Mary is kind of, it was really for, for two big reasons. Number one, um, that rabbits um can get pregnant while they're pregnant 
So I, I double checked this on um, some Reddit forums and stuff like that. And people have said that they have gotten rabbits from people and they said, okay, here's a, here's a rabbit that, you know, I bought or I got or whatever. And the person said, okay, I'm going to let you know that the rabbit's pregnant. So it's, you know, it's going to have babies. And then after it has babies, probably like 25 days later, it's going to have another litter, even if there are no other rabbits around. And the people were like, are you serious? And he said, yeah, because, um, you know, that, that happens with rabbits. And so they said, um, just like clockwork, he said it was actually 27 days later, but the rabbit had another litter and no male rabbits had been around it like since then. And because of this, the rabbit, it gives the illusion of a virgin birth. And so this virgin birth was then associated the rabbit with Mary. Now, so it became a, um, a symbol of, um, purity and holiness, of course. And Mary was at the crucifixion, you know, but more interestingly, the two high holy days that we just spoke of within Christianity is, um, uh, Easter and Christmas. I mean, these are the ones that people show up for, right? And with, with the Virgin Mary, we usually think around Christmas time as talking about, you know, the Virgin birth and, and of Mary, but um, even, even the, the, you know, uh, annunciation of, um, you know, the angel telling Mary that, that she, um, she'll, she's pregnant, you know, she will be pregnant. She becomes pregnant. The time of the incarnation happens. People have associated that with the timing of Easter because nine months later you get Christmas, nine months later, the, the birth takes place. So, um, putting the rabbit in Easter is really like this central hinge point that connects Christmas and Easter together, the incarnation and the virgin birth at, at, at the same moment. Like I said, uh, everything comes to a pinnacle on Easter. This is the, the beginning and the end of, of everything. This is, this is, um, uh, apocalyptic in, in the sense that the, the hiddenness that has been revealed, this is the revelation that takes place. Um, this is why I hold to, to Paul being a, um, an, an apocalyptic writer the, the, the Christ event, what that meant for the entire world. This is the, the world ended and a new world began. I mean, this, uh, everything, everything happens and is centered in Christ here. And so, um, the reason why, the, the rabbit gets associated with Easter is because of this. Now, um, the, the gr- Greek uh, zoology understanding, they, they knew this, that this happened with rabbits, that this you know, was, was a common occurrence. Um, and the medieval uh, Christians also noticed it and picked up on it. And that's when it was in the Middle Ages that they then started associating rabbits with Easter. And so that becomes the... Um, the, the, the big issue with the rabbit. So, um, you know, but you have songs like Peter Cottontail and, you know, all the, all this sort of stuff. Um, but that's the big thing. And then, um, you know, so it, let me, let me back up just a second. So rabbits are not from some like pagan fertility worship. Okay. It, you know, yes, they were a part of that practice. Like I said, the, the, you know, Grecian zoology, like they, you know, understood this and they associated that with, you know, fertility worship and those sort of things. Absolutely. But there was no, 
direct correlation between that understanding with um with with, uh easter itself because it came you know 1300 years later roughly um and so there was no there was no connection um to those two things and fertility um goddesses of the time um has more to do with with crops and with crop cycles and any um you know uh, i hope i'm saying this right agrarian culture any agriculture um, culture is going to have festival seasons. I mean, even even here in Western Pennsylvania, we have um, you know harvest festivals in in the fall. Um, yeah, you know, we have pumpkin festivals. We have you know we don't have pumpkin festivals in May. That that never happens. Everything coincides with the seasons. So you know, you're going to have similarities, but correlation does not equal causation. Like one did not cause the other, you know, the fact that, you know, the ancient people worshiped, um, you know, their, their type of worship and their style of worship was built around a, an agricultural calendar does not mean they caused everybody else to do it. Also, It, it just always happened. And in the old Testament, you have a lot of this, um, a lot of this stuff taking place um, because there are times and seasons of festivals and festivals of remembrance. Passover is one of those that was done every single year. It was an identifying festival of, um, of, of Israel, of the Jewish people, but uh, particularly of the Israelites. And one of the things that was, was eaten um, during the Passover was an egg, either, you know, roasted or hard boiled. And, um, these eggs are of course on the table. Now, if you remember, um, if you've ever seen this, I don't know or not. Um, the, the show South park, my, my wife never really cared for the show South park. I found it hilarious. Some of their stuff is, is really, really funny and on point. I of course don't endorse it, but I do find it, you know, some of the stuff pretty funny. Um, but they, when they made fun of the, um, the Da Vinci code, and they did like a whole like Easter service or an Easter um, episode uh, thing with it and trying to make these connections. And one of the things, if you've ever read the Da Vinci Code, you know, terrible book. It really is. It's it's really poorly written. It's just it's it's just shock value is the reason why it it sold. Um, but it's it's not a terribly good story. And it's 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 written extremely poorly. But anyways, um in it, they go and see this guy and uh, basically the premise of it is that Stan's father was part of like some rabbit cult. And this was the, you know, original rabbit from the first century, a descendant of it. And, um, and you know, so the clue was found in the last supper work of, you know, uh, Da Vinci and the guy is like showing the kids, you know, look closely at, at this and and we you know what do you see on the table and they're like eggs and he's like that's right easter eggs see da vinci was painting easter eggs in here to to give us a he said now let's scrape away some paint and you know look what's revealed look at look at peter and you know ears rabbit ears appear on peter and he scrap you know scrapes more paint away and then um you know peter's gone and there's just a rabbit there and the kids are just like wait a minute peter rabbit and my my wife wasn't paying attention, but she heard that and she said, "Okay, that was funny." But um, so you know, the association of eggs at the Passover was not something that was foreign. You know, now um, more than likely it was Mesopotamian Christians that um, picked up on that, being uh, close to Jewish communities. Um, 
you know, worshiping with them and so on, um, you know, and, and celebrating, um, you know, the resurrection of Christ. And it's, it's in, in line with Passover eggs are, of course, uh, are a part of the Seder meal, which can be brought then into the Easter tradition. Now, what you have is um, the hard shell of death. And in the, yeah, in the Middle Ages too, in both Jewish and Christian communities, these were eventually dyed red to show blood. Um, you know, the the, the blood um, that was representing for Passover, for Christians, of course, it's the blood of Christ that covers it. But this hard shell would be this hard shell of death. You know, this bloody death, this hard shell of bloody death was broken. And when it was broken, you would open it and there was life-giving sustenance inside of it. The Theology Pit is a partner-funded ministry. Please consider partnering with us by making a donation at thetheologypit.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page, hit the donate button, and make a contribution to the best Theology Pit podcast on the internet. Now let's get back to the show. So the eggs having this life-giving sustenance, this from death to life, is a natural expression within the understanding of Easter. And um, the uh, German Christians picked up on this, uh, on this, this tradition of having eggs and, and dyeing them. And when you have this culture doing this, that heavily immigrates to the West, especially to America, these traditions get brought along with it. And the eggs get dyed, of course, many different colors now. Um, and they're hidden for um, technically women and children to find. Now, much like um, within the Passover meal, you know, um, the first thing that is done is that all the leaven has to be removed from the house. And so there is a search that goes on to find the leaven, find the bread and remove it from the house. And usually it's staged, you know, and it's fun for the children to find, right? So you still have the children aspect of it, but the, um, when, whenever the hiding of the eggs, the, the Easter eggs was done and it was women and children, the symbolism of that and the understanding of that is who were the first to find the the empty tomb and to see the risen Christ. It was women. Women are the ones who really are the main thrust through the New Testament. And sometimes that gets missed because, you know, it's um, a lot of the focus is on the disciples because a lot of them are doing the writing and that's it. But um, and, and the way that women uh, were treated in courts of law and, and those sort of things back then, it would be more scandalous to have everything coming from a woman. But they didn't back away from it when they say, you know, who were the first to to discover you know, the, the empty tomb and to discover the risen Christ. Well, it's the testimony of women, which, you know, wouldn't hold up in a court of law, but it was honest and it's a brutal honesty that is embarrassing, but yet it's true. So therefore it is recorded in scripture. This is, this is how it is. So the finding of the Easter eggs, finding of the new life from death, the women participate in the Easter egg hunt with the children. So you're connecting the Old and New Testaments together in that point also, and you're, you're expressing that. So that's why we have the Easter eggs. And with Mary being the, um, the mother of God, giving birth to the Christ, um, the, the women 
accompanying the children to find everything is making that connection of it is the it is the woman who brings um, the new life into the world birthing the Messiah, bringing the new life into the world, which was promised um, to Eve uh, back in, in, in the garden in, in Genesis chapter three, when God said, you know, uh, for the seed of the woman, the, the serpent's head will be crushed. So all this is pulling together. So the imagery that we, we have with rabbits and eggs in Easter is very strong Judeo-Christian uh, uh, symbolism. That's tied into it. And when we lose the symbolism, of course, in our culture, then we start making up what we think it is. And people start saying, oh, well, this is Mesopotamian um, goddess worship of Ishtar. And really, the only reason why they say that is, and it's, this is really the dumbest reason that, that you can ever hear, is because Ishtar sounds like Easter. That's it. That's the only that's the only connection that they have. Now, what makes that really, really stupid is that the only Christians in the world that call Easter Easter are English speaking and German Christians because um, the German language like, okay, so English is just an, an, a, a language that has been abused by other languages. Okay, that's all that it is. It is just a, a hobglob of other languages. And so um, take other parts. I don't even want to say what the English language did was take parts from other languages because that is really a misunderstanding. Other languages forced their pronunciation and their words onto Anglo, yeah, Saxon speaking, Anglo, you know, people, um, English speaking people. Um, it, it happened within the fourth and fifth century where we got proto dramatic syllabifications of words. And then in the, uh, it was the 11th and 12th century where the French then um, uh, forced it on. It, it, it's the reason why, you know, we don't eat cow, we eat beef. Okay. It's, it's why we have these different reasons, like, you know, of the different language for food that, that we use. Okay. We, we don't eat pig, we eat pork. All right. That, that's from this type of, of influence. So with a, a proto-dramatic syllabification of the English language, Easter did not come from Ishtar, but it came from the word that actually is derived from the word Eastern. Think Eastern when you hear Easter. So, um, Oster, which is, is Eastern, um, and the Oster hair, East, you know, the Eastern bunny. Um, you think of the, of Austria. Okay. Austria, the land of the East. Okay. And so Easter coming from this derivative of the East where the sun rises. Okay. Notice the play there, the, the rising, the new life coming up, the resurrection, Easter being a derivative of austere becomes resurrection. So, you know, if you want to say resurrection day, which a lot of us do, you know, for, for Easter, we, we call it resurrection day. You can, because that is a, a very good understanding of the, the translation of the word Easter from those German origins. Certainly not pagan. Certainly didn't come from Ishtar. That's just, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's so ridiculous to even think that just because a couple words, you know, sound alike, that they have the exact same meaning. Um, and so with with Easter, now the rest of the world um, 
calls it uh, a, a different forms, but uh, Pascha, which is derived from um, the, uh, the 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 Hebrewish. Uh, I say Hebrewish Hebrew um, uh, Egyptian word of Pasuk, which we get you know our, our Paschal lamb, which means Passover, and so Pascha celebrated around the world. Um, I, w- I was in a, a, a chat um, with a woman who was streaming who um, does, does some work for me on my, on my Twitch um, channel and she's from Mexico. And I asked her, uh, you know, cause I said, I said about this, I was like, yeah, we're the only ones that call it Easter. You know what? Just tell me what do you call it? And she said it and it is a Spanish derivative of uh, Pasca. You know of, of Passover because it is it is Passover even within the the uh, Roman Catholic Church they say that Christ you know our Paschal our Paschal Lamb has been slain therefore let us keep the feast Alleluia and so it's the Passover Lamb so the entire world besides us has always called it a form of Pascha and the Mesopotamian Christians who were alive and around. Uh, Ishtar worship did not call this Easter. There was no Ishtar relationship whatsoever. And so therefore, um, Easter um, is is just a very Western and American concept. But because um, there are a lot of Western uh, English-speaking non-Christians that um, like to present themselves as intelligent, but once they start talking and you look at what they're saying, they are, they're, they are, um, sophists. They, they are, or sophists. It's great when you, when you mess up that word, but basically that, you know, you would call them sophomores, you would call them wise idiots. You know, they, they know a lot that just isn't true and they present it very boldly as though they are. I mean, they love to point this out. Oh, Easter, that's just, you know, pagan Ishtar worship. And it's like, what? There's zero connection to that. Like zero, like you're, you're listening to, you know, the, the pronunciation of a word and saying that that's the same thing. And, and it's really, that's like some of the laziest historical research that could ever possibly be done, but it's always pawned off this time of year as though that's true as, as though that's right. And they say, look, you know, they're, um, uh, uh, austere, um, or austere, the, you know, um, Anglo-Saxon goddess of, um, fertility or, you know, that I think there were, uh, uh, um, rabbits that were used in that. So see, therefore, there's the big connection. And it's like, no, that's that's not it at all. Okay. And because of all of this, we can move to our next point here, that Jesus raised on the first day of the week on Sunday. And this is why Christians worship on Sunday. This is the start of the worship of the risen Lord on Sunday, moving it to Sunday as the holy day. The Sabbath is Saturday. The first day of the week is Sunday. And it's why we worship on Sunday because of the the risen Christ. Um, Acts chapter 20 um, is one of the first accounts um, that we get of Sunday worship. And so um, let's see, Acts chapter 20 verse, we can go to verse, um, verse six. Um, said, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, after the days of unleavened bread. Okay. So you were in a, um, right after 
the Passover celebration right after Easter. And within five days, we came to the others in Troas where we stayed for seven days. Okay. So they got there and they stayed for seven days. And then it says on the first day of the week, we went and met and break uh, to break bread. Paul began to speak to the people because, and because he intended to leave the next day, he extended his message until midnight. Now here's the thing, Paul being there, for seven days, he would have been eating meals with them the whole time. Like you can't say, and I've said this in other podcasts, you can't say that um, uh, that Paul was not breaking bread with them and not eating with them in that sense, uh, especially after um, his treatment of um, Peter and addressing Peter in the letter to the Galatians. All right, so that so that can't that's not what it is. But on the first day of the week. They broke bread, which meant they had communion. They celebrated the, um, the, the, the Passover lamb being slain again and again. But, they, but this is Christ that they're pointing to. So Sunday worship with communion was instituted right from the beginning. This is like the beginning of of the faith, and this is what they're they're doing. And Paul, it, you know, is constantly talking about that. And so we have church services on Sunday, and it's very common to have communion in many liturgical churches. You have communion every single Sunday. Um, some don't. Uh, my church has it once a month. Believe me, I'm trying to change that. I, you know, I would love to do it weekly. But, um, but there's, you know, there's some issues with that. Some, some churches do it, you know, four times a year. Some churches do it once a year, you know, everybody can do, you can do it at different times. That's kind of the point. We're not stuck on that, but, um, traditionally it is nice to do it every single week. This, of course, the scripture does not say he did it every single week, obviously, but, um, but having a church on Sunday is a biblical is a biblical issue. Um, having lunch or dinner with your family, you know, having like a big Easter like feast and everything. This is also reminiscent of a big Passover meal. Um, you know, you're sitting down with the family. Um, the 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 Paschal lamb has been slain. You have have, have kept the feast. The angel of death has passed over. In Christ, we have new life. Let's let us eat. Okay, and so all of this you know, starts to, um, to formulate into the reason why we do what we do for Easter, you know, for, for Passover, for Pascha, the, the Christian, um, Passover, it has nothing to do with marketing. It has nothing to do with pagan origins. It doesn't have anything to do with anything except for, um, scripture and ways of, Christians over time using symbolism within their celebrations to tell the gospel story. That's what this is all about. And we lost this understanding in our culture because Christianity, um, when it becomes nothing but a, you know, feel good experience of obligation, we tend to lose who we are and stuff like this, you know, non-Christians will come up and try to shake your faith and they'll say, this is just a pagan, you know, worship. And that's all that it is when it's not, it has nothing to do with that. And so as you're celebrating Easter, 
tomorrow and you know we're in the Easter season. I don't know when you're going to be listening to this. Um, just remember that this is the beginning and the end. This is our Judeo-Christian heritage. This is why we have Easter why we have Easter bunnies, why we have, you know, the, the, uh, Easter eggs that we do, why we dye them, why we do Easter egg hunts, what that all means. Let's not try and remove all of these traditions or act like we're holier than thou because we don't participate in that because we've given in to the secular understanding of what Easter truly is. Why don't we reclaim what is already there? And say to people, no, I absolutely take my kids to see the Easter Bunny because the Easter Bunny is the the symbol of Easter time of Mary, the virgin birth. And this is the time of the incarnation. And nine months later, we will have the virgin birth and Christmas. This is the beginning of everything. That's why we have that. The Easter eggs, we have death from death, the hard shell of death is broken and life giving sustenance is inside. Life is inside. And that's why we have the Easter eggs and we hide them for the women and children to find the women who were the first among um, those to uh, it, it, first among those in scripture to find the risen Lord and the empty tomb and the children looking that takes us back to Passover. Let's not shy away from our heritage. Let's embrace it. Let's explain to people all of these, you know, what you think are just cartoonish things now that are there are deeply biblical. And because of that, we can say proudly that he is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you. And now it is time to close down the pit. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Theology Pit. Please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a comment about what you like or what you don't like. Each rating and comment helps others discover this show. Don't forget to visit us at thetheologypit.com to make a donation. While on the website, we would appreciate it if you would share these podcasts with your friends and family on social media. Our Facebook page is also titled The Theology Pit. Stop over and give us a like. If you have any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please write to Samson at thetheologypit.com. That's Samson, spelled S-A-M-S-O-N, at thetheologypit.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's show. So I don't know what I'm going to do for next week. Um, I haven't really planned anything, but you know what? If you want to ask me questions live, you can always do that on Fridays from 9 a.m. to noon. Uh, twitch.tv forward slash the twitch theologian or sunday nights from 9 p.m to midnight uh, i'll be on there again uh, i'll be talking about this this topic here um of course because i want to present that to that audience um but if you have any ideas that you'd like to kick over to me any questions any sermons you want me to listen to feel free to send them to me at a samson at the theology pit.com this and more on the next theology pit